When you think of computer animated movies nowadays, Pixar and Tim Burton might be the first names to pop into your mind. But beyond the mainstream edges of contemporary film culture, the world of animation has many other players in it whose work is just as worthy of our attention. Those players, however, may not be playing with the same user friendly characters like Toy Story's Buzz Lightyear or Coraline as filmmakers like Barry Dupay has to offer. Some audiences might not be ready for Dupay's eerie images and scenes. Born in Victoria, Barry Dupay's computer animated films look like technology on the verge of collapse. His stories are Lynchian in style, and the machinations of his characters are weird, obtuse, and yet captivating. Dupay is now living and working as a filmmaker in Vancouver. He holds a Bachelor of Media Arts degree from Emily Carr's Institute of Art and Design, and he is the recipient of a 2004 and 2005 Media Arts Canada Council production grant for emerging artists. Recently, he just completed his new film entitled Ponytail. Barry Dupay's films have been screened throughout Canada and internationally, including at the Ann Arbor Film Festival, the Anthology Film Archives, Lyon Contemporary Art Museum, Pleasure Dome, and at the Tate Modern Gallery in London, England. This Friday, Barry Dupay's latest film, Ponytail, which is his first feature length film, will be screened at the Vivo Media Arts Centre in Vancouver at 7 pm. Earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with Barry Dupay to talk about the film, and I must apologize for the quality of this recording. My recorder failed me for the first time ever, so I ended up using my laptop to record the interview, and it has been severely edited because at points my computer fan turned on, people entered the room, My phone rang, possibly my most unprofessional interview to date. However, I have salvaged what I can from the interview, and so I've collected those portions here. I hope you enjoy it. This is Barry Dupay. His film Ponytail is on at the Vivo Media Arts Center this Friday at 7 pm. What is Ponytail?、Um, well, Ponytail is a, a film, like a Feature length film.、Mm-hmm. Um, an animated film. An animated film, a computer animated film.、Um, and I think if I had to say what it was about,、um, I would say the main, the main storyline would be a girl on a farm who is thirsty for more、mm. um, than just the farm. Right. When, when people ask you what, what the movie is about、um, or what do you do, how do you respond? Do you say I'm a filmmaker or do you say I'm an artist? What do you usually, how do you respond when. when People are like at a cocktail party, for example. What do you do? What are you working on? Or... Okay, well, somebody asked me that.、Um, <laughs> uh, well, I do, I do collaborative drawing with a group called Alliance.、Mm-hmm. And, and they're based here in Vancouver. They're based in Vancouver.、Um, and there's five of us. And, and I also make, make films, and they kind of both things、um, kind of work into each other. And、yeah. the members of the Lions, did you meet at Emily Carr?、Um, no, the, we didn't meet at Emily Carr. We, we met、um, through f- friends.、Mm-hmm. Like, um, it just sort of started happening. Like,、uh, Matthew Brown, James Whitman, and I started、um, drawing together just for fun. And then Tasha Brotherton、um, joined, I think, a year or two after that.、Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people have come and gone.、Um, but now it's.、Um, Collins joined Colin Johansson.、Mm-hmm. Is there a, a motivation or a, a certain aim or goal or a, idea behind the group? 
Um, yeah, I think that the sort of center of the collaborating is that you each sort of pick up where each other leave off, mm. you know, like there's that surprise of somebody doing something to what you've done mm -hmm. that you couldn't have thought of. And so sometimes, you know, when I'm working on my film, it's kind of the same way, I'm like kind of collaborating with myself. And sometimes one day you're in one mood and then the next day, mm -hmm. or like, you know, this took two years, so over two years, you're sort of, you're a different person, you know, right. after the end. Um, so you're sort of always rethinking what you've done. Mm -hmm. That leads well into my first question because I wanted to ask how a story like this or how did the idea for Ponytail come to you and how did you put it together the way that it ended up? Was it a gradual process day to day or did you start off with this broader vision of what it was and then build that? Well, usually I, I build sort of lists and libraries of things that, that I find intriguing and I keep like... I do sort of a daily, every day I'm kind of working um, and building these lists, like build scenes, lists of scenes, um, ideas for scenes, dialogue for scenes, even scenes themselves. Like I'll make lists of like folders of scenes that I don't all get used, but, and you sort of categorize, it's very sort of systematic. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> it might look kind of, kind of scattered in the end, but it's, you know, it's kind of carefully put together and, and usually the things that you know not, not every single idea that I, I'm going to do sort of speaks to the whole of, of what it is mm -hmm. but usually there's like a, a sharpness or something to a scene that mm -hmm. kind of gets my heart going that, like there's either something about it that like, kind of connects I think to something that I'm thinking about and it just kind of builds in that way I think with this one there was this, these sort of common themes that kept coming up and trying to find different ways of saying them mm -hmm. Some people talk about the seed of an idea, and I know that there are moments like where did the when did you first get the inspiration to be like I want to make a full length feature film, and this is sort of the way it's going to go. Well, I've made three short films, mm -hmm. and each of those, well, they're like two of them are like half an hour long, the other one's fifteen minutes. But I always felt sort of that even the formal structure of a short film doesn't allow you to kind of say something and then to let what you've said have have time to come back to it you know like to have a scene and then to come back and sort of build on that or turn around its head or something like that and then in the short films like i, I never return to any scenes there's that they're always like it's always like a stream always mm -hmm. going but what kind of intrigued me was the, just that formal structure of film where i could kind of build and recur and actually have some sort of narrative traction i mm -hmm. think like when i watched the short films i felt like the most engaging scenes were ones with dialogue like cohesive dialogue that that kind of built up and those were the sort of strengths so i thought okay well, why not try to make a film that did that that had um first of all good dialogue and then also had this kind of thing where it was kind of indirect but recurred and, and like it had something that it built up to mm -hmm. so the themes or the ideas that are brought up can resonate a bit with the audience and then you bring them back there's so many different ideas that are brought up in the film and then you get a chance to really sit with them and at, maybe at first you're like what does this mean but then there's a lot of repetition that brings you back to ideas and progresses them forward a little later and i think that that's one of the really went for me that was one of the strengths of the film speaking of language why german and why why the computer generated sounding voice that is about um there's a few reasons mm -hmm. why i did that um and kind of a problem solving too like, aside from just the kind of whatever, I, I felt like in my other films there was these computer voices, but I had to really, like, some of the words that came out sounded really, in English anyway, sounded really kind of garbled and stuff, so I had to rewrite and re-speak a lot of things so that they sounded proper, mm -hmm. so that you could even understand them. And then when people watch the film, they say, well, I don't, sometimes they're, the people are talking and I don't understand what they're saying. Right. And I felt like, just as an experiment, I would do a scene where 
for sure you know what they're saying and so I was trying different languages but also the kind of tonal quality of, mm -hmm. of the voices like it doesn't become irritating to me when I watch it like there's something kind of flattened out about the drama like the expression it's somehow like really removed from any kind of emotion like it's not telling you this is funny or this is boring or this mm -hmm. is whatever it's just sort of like the ideas or whatever about what they're saying kind of stand um, kind of like outcast the drama is kind of gone but then there's somehow some, sometimes when they say stuff it's really dramatic so it occurred to me while I was watching that because it's so void of emotion in some parts and it's in some parts they say things that are hilarious or they say things that are shocking or disturbing and because of that flatness of tone it is so removed from what would normally be a very loaded sentence and so i wondered whether or not you'd had an application that could generate these specific phrases through a computer so that it was totally void of actual emotion Oh yeah, it is. It's text-to-speech. Okay. But it's not preset phrases. It's stuff I, I, I can write and mm -hmm. it says it back. Um, and that's more, that's to a kind of a control thing. Like I felt like as I'm making it, I don't write a script out. You know, I don't spend a year writing a script and mm -hmm. then go into the studio and have someone record it. It's sort of like I can change it. I can work with the scene and I can change it the next day. I can have someone say dialogue and then animate the whole thing and then the next day remove all the dialogue and change the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of, like, I felt like it fit the computer. It's all sort of synthetic. Mm -hmm. The people match the voices. Like, the actual voice of that woman, I felt like really matched the, the character. Mm -hmm. And even though it's the same voice a lot of times talking, you don't really notice it. Mm -hmm. like, and because you you get the visual cues that the characters are changing, it's the visual leads you forward, and so it's not a question of whether or not it's a different person speaking. Um, in some of the reviews or the some of the the internet speak about ponytail so far, they are like, well, this is not Pixar. <laughs> but I mean, when people think of computer generated animation these days, mostly they do think of something that looks like Pixar or looks very different from from what your film looks like but it's captivating because it's so different why why does this aesthetic in sound and in visuals appeal to you well i i um i remember when i first started animating i loved drawing like i loved mm -hmm. that like my first film's hand drawn and it it was um 16 minutes and it took me a year and a half to make and for 16 minutes you know mm -hmm. um that's a big investment and yeah. um, i remember spending 20 minutes just coloring one frame and there's you know 15 frames in a second so mm -hmm. you can imagine how kind of like patient you have to be and how that kind of impedes the spontaneity of what you're doing like mm -hmm. you really have to be really careful about the ideas like you say okay well this is what you know this is the idea and for the next month i'm going to be drawing this 30 seconds you know mm -hmm. um or whatever it's interesting to come to the end of a film and see one name um, I mean, uh, you have yeah. a thank you list, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, this is all you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it is weird. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the, the things that people don't appreciate necessarily in, like, blockbuster films or in Pixar films. Everyone walks out as soon as the, the story is over, and there's maybe 10, 15 minutes of people's names of who went towards making this, and some of them are often in China, some are all over the place, a lot of them don't have any emotional investment in the film whereas um, your film is is you, is your life for the last two years I imagine amongst the uh, traveling that you've been doing, which I see you've been doing a lot but 
I think that control aspect and the and the inspiration aspect in terms of how you're feeling from day to day is really incredible. So what kind of response have you got so far? It debuted in London and then you went to Rotterdam, New York and Toronto? I think the response has been overwhelmingly um, wise in German. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Great, then one of my first questions is... <laughs> no, it's, that's, that's the response. But then it's not it's not the question where why is it in German, like it doesn't work or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's like a bit of an oddity that it's in, in German, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think and I'm not too concerned about it. I just Is it more about the process for you than, than it is for the audience reception? When you are inspired to make a film and devote two years of your life, is it for you as an artist more about that two years? rather than what comes out at the end? Well, it's kind of interesting what happens to a film after you let it sit that you've made. Like, I look at films I made two years ago, and I think, oh, there's some there's some good parts. <laughs> but it doesn't really hold me the same way as whatever ideas you're currently working on. But you don't want to, you know, dishonor your past work or anything because you, you gave it your all when you were, you were working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is kind of about... You get kind of jazzed up about stuff you're working on, and then you don't really think too much about what people are going to think. Or as long as I'm communicating, like as long as the work is for communicating what I want it to, then mm. I feel like people can understand what they're saying. That's important. Mm-hmm. But I usually work pretty not solitary, but I have like the film, the film itself. Like I don't show half cut versions to people and get opinions ever. Mm. You know, like it's pretty much interesting. Because by the, by the time I'm done, it's done. You know, it's I'm not I'm not looking to change things when I show people or anything like that. And that's kind of a really fun experience. Because I remember watching scenes that I've made for the first time on my own, mm-hmm. and there's just kind of like uh, it's exciting. Like it's it's exciting, and then you know a year and a half goes by, and if that scene's still kind of exciting to watch, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of see how it all fits together. But so far, people nobody's really said anything really horrible to me. Like it's it's awful. Like I, I don't expect it to be everybody's. Favorite film ever? ever. (laughs) I think, like, I I can sort of see it soft spots now because I made it, uh, finished it September 2008, so a few months have gone by and I can kind of see things that I would want to improve on my next film. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you don't show it to your process to anyone, that it arrives fully formed wherever it arrives. I wonder, have you sat in audiences when it's been shown? Oh, yeah. And what's that like? <laughs> what's that like for you, knowing that people are hearing the message and receiving the message? And well, that's... I I mean, I love watching it. And I'm... I mean, I've seen it a lot of times. Like, I don't know, it's just, for me, every time I watch it, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you watch it with a group of people, and it's a totally different thing than when you watch it in your bedroom while you're working on it halfway through. You know, mm-hmm. like the, like everything when you've got like a hundred eyes on it or something, everything feels a little bit different. Like it, the speed of it or something. Like it seems to go by really fast when I'm alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people are there, it doesn't really lag. But it's just a different. Yeah, it's just sometimes I watch it and I think, oh, that was this scene's funny, or I look forward to different scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, it seems to always change every time I watch it. Like I don't mm-hmm. like my opinion of things change. Would you ever consider going back and changing things afterwards? I mean, in, in a lot of ways, people will watch a film once and, and then they'll never go back to it again. They might not see it again. But you've seen this film, as you mentioned, so many times. And certainly it's the kind of film that you can go back to and get something different the more you watch it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I remember when I was younger, I used to watch films over and over and over. Like, I would have um, a cassette tape of it and just watch them, the same films, like of Bambi or Terminator, you know, a lot. And mm. now that I'm older, I tend to watch, like, five films from the library a week and mm. watch them all at once. Maybe sometimes on fast forward, you know, it's not... Mm -hmm. I think when you're younger, it sort of sinks in a little differently. Mm -hmm. And they become, like, home, like these little ideas of home film. Um, that's kind of sad. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's a really common experience for people of our generation. Um, but it, this whole idea of time is very different when you're older, and the way that you devote time to a movie or to a, even a book or any kind of art is very different from when you're a kid, and, and, and colors grab you in a different way, or sound grabs you in a different way, and you want to hear it again because you're figuring it out. Mm. Speaking of color... The color of the film seems very contradictory, or co it contrasts the spoken content or the root, the journey of the story. Is there a relationship for you between what the story is and how it looks? Yeah, I think the image itself, um, I'm really careful with it, like the, the progression of the palette throughout the film. And sometimes people say, oh, how do you decide what, what scenes go when? And sometimes it is a color thing. Sometimes it's, well, this color or this pace needed to happen there. And also, like, I don't know, sometimes I watch films and I don't care about the image. It's like almost like it might as well just be dialogue. You know, I'm, I'm so engaged by what people are saying and the actual situation itself about what they're setting up and things like that. And the image, you know, like it could be on 10-year-old VHS and I don't care. Mm -hmm. But I sort of think when I go to to make something like this film it is sort of 50 50 almost like it's 50 50 situation and language and everything but then there's this really heavy image aspect like it's really kind of distinct mm -hmm. and it's really posed and like even though I actually yeah i think that's contradictory because i don't care about images when i watch films mostly like mm -hmm. it's just sort of something that happens and i don't like in the end i think it's it's not the image but then when i when i go to make something myself it ends up being a lot about the image mm -hmm. um so I think, yeah, I guess what you make and what you value are, are different. Like, I can't help it. That strikes me as really interesting, because when you said earlier that you sometimes go back and completely rewrite the dialogue, or you could change the oral message that people are receiving while maintaining the same visual message, or vice versa, or just changing a single word can change an entire sentence. I mean... The idea that for you the image and the audio content can move so freely, I mean that's not always the case with films and not always the case when people ascribe meaning to what's what they're hearing and what they're seeing. Yeah, that has to be sort of like a harmony or balance between the sort of visual, you know, because there's some scenes where there's extended periods of no dialogue mm -hmm. and you're getting just these kind of visual things that are happening. Mm -hmm. um, and it is interesting because when you say, when I say chainsaw, Mm -hmm. And when I read Chainsaw, and when I see an image of a chainsaw, they're all, they all kind of connect emotionally in different ways. And that's, that's also coming, coming back to them writing, the subtitling of it, the, the way it's made through these kind of collections of lists and things. It becomes like the actual words themselves and the structure of a sentence is different than talking. And it's, it's like reading, reading the sentence itself, I think, sinks in a different way, like mm -hmm. hearing it and reading it. And that works in the film in, in the difference between the color scheme mm -hmm. and the verbal language we're hearing, which is German, which doesn't match with the written English we're reading. And there's so many different levels going on of how we interpret what we're taking in 
through our ears and through our eyes and through our mental understanding what is going on. I think it's really fascinating to uh, step back. I mean, right now that the image that's in my mind is of that uh, of the guy licking the toilet seat. Mm, right. When I saw it initially, it just repulses me. Like it's one of those. It's an image that I would never have imagined, and I was horrified by it in some respects. But the dialogue and the and the response of the other people in the scene and just the whole dynamic of what I'm hearing and what I'm not hearing, like I'm not hearing any sounds. Um, it was a really strong moment for me in the film because I was thinking a lot about why I was having the response I was and why they were having the response they were and what I was reading and seeing and why. And it was just one of yeah, those moments. Almost innocence to it too. Like I think I'm always sort of concerned about. Like I remember in the heart of a sparrow, I felt like like there was these sort of punctuated scenes of violence mm. or almost like distaste. And I always want. I'm always trying really, really hard to make these uplifting films that mm. aren't sad or mm-hmm. depressing or scary or anything like that. Um, and there's like a big kind of contradiction between what kind of excites me or something but then there's also this innocence to it like the the boy's reaction to that is so neutral and innocent like mm-hmm. it's like they're not like typically in an, in an animated film you would see those boys being like oh that's gross or something. yeah and you don't like they it's just sort of a part of what happens in this world like i i don't think of um like they're not like they're humanoid people they're using say german language whatever language they're using mm-hmm. but it's not really of this it's kind of interesting because it's using pieces of the world to make this other world, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know, like when you say, when you ask why it's in German, and then I tell you the reason, like, does that help you any? Like, mm-hmm. does that, what, what are you going to do with that now that you've, you're armed with that um, <laughs> right. information in a way? It's, it's like this alien thing, but it's it's somehow close because it's, it's humanoid and it's... Mm-hmm. Um, using our sort of language and, and our symbols and everything. But mm-hmm. I felt like, like it just doesn't really feel like how things really are. That was my conversation with Barry Dupay. His new film, Ponytail, will be screening at the Vivo Media Arts Centre. That's at 1965 Main Street, right here in Vancouver, this Friday at 7 p.m. And there will be an artist's talk right after the performance. That's at 9 p.m. Admission is $10 or $8 for Vivo members, and I think you should all head on down there. All right, that's it for my show today. I hope you have a great night. And to lead us out, I'm going to uh, include another track that's dedicated to all the people graduating today, specifically to the journalists out there who are graduating. This is called The Advice Song. And it's uh, a good one from a couple years back. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to reach me, you can always email arts at citr.ca. Have a great, sunshiny, beautiful day, and I'll see you right back here next week. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. In 
Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade it. But trust me, in 20 years, you look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. Don't worry about the future. Or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind. The kind that blindsides you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. The race is long. And in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll dance the funky chicken on your 75th wedding anniversary. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's. Enjoy your body. Use it every way you can. Don't be afraid of it or what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Dance. Even if you have nowhere to do it but in your own living room. Read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Brother and sister, together we'll make it through. Someday a spirit will take you and guide you there.
Live in New York City once, but leave before it makes you hard. Live in Northern California once, but leave before it makes you soft. Travel. Accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise. Politicians will philander. You too will get old, and when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders. Don't expect anyone else to support you. Maybe you have a trust fund. Maybe you'll have a wealthy spouse. But you never know when either one might run out. Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. But trust me. On the sunscreen. Brother and sister together will make it through. Oh, oh yeah. Someday a spirit will take you and guide you there. Community is competing in a provincial-wide adoption challenge to find more loving homes for animals during the month of May. The Great BC SPCA Adoption Challenge is a reminder to animal lovers to make the BC SPCA their first adoption option. So open your heart and your home, and give a homeless animal a second chance during the BC SPCA Adoption Challenge. Visit spca.bc.ca for more information. From Riffs by Dennis Lee. When I lurched like a rumor of want through the networks of plenty, a me-shaped pang on the lamb. When I ghosted through lives like a headline, a scrap in the updraft, and my midlife wreckage was close and for keeps. When I watched the birches misting pale spring voltage, and not mine, nor mine, nor mine, then a lady laid her touch among me, gentle thing for which I stand still startled, gentle thing, and feel the ache begin again, the onus of joy. <laughs> 